Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, tip of the hat, many thanks to all the folks, a couple hundred folks who showed up for my book signing and our labor panel and whatnot in Chicago. And thanks to WCPT and to the the unions who helped put that together. Tip of the hat to y'all. How does it happen that America gets taken over by right-wing autocrats and we see basically American democracy being turned back? And in fact, let me just go back a week ago, week and a half ago, on Fareed Zakaria's show, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but I was, uh, you know, as I was talking about it, I was kind of organizing in my head this op-ed that I published last week. The one I have printed out in front of me was published on the LA Progressive, and the headline is, we have to undo the attack on the middle class that started with Reagan if we want our democracy back. You know, a couple of years ago, 2016, two researchers, FOA and Monk, F-O-A and uh, M-O-U-N-K, Roberto Stefan FOA and Yasha Monk, published this paper in the Journal of Democracy. And what they found, and just listen to this, and think of Trump as you're listening to this. This is mind-boggling. In the United States, they write, among all age cohorts, the share of citizens who believe it would be better to have a, quote, strong leader who does not have to, quote, bother with parliament and elections has risen over time. In 1995, 24% of respondents held this view. By 2011, that figure had increased to 32%. By the time the paper came out in 2016, fully 49% of Americans thought elites should be making decisions rather than, quote, government. Almost half of Americans. Where does this come from? Well, Foe and Monk write, in the past three decades, the share of U.S. citizens who think that it would be good or a very good thing, in fact, for the army to rule, has steadily risen. In 1995, one in 16 respondents thought the army should take over the United States. Today, it's one in six. Again, why? Well, you know, in 1980, Reagan came to power with enormous amounts of money because of the Buckley decision in 76 and the First National Bank Supreme Court decision in 78. He came to power with all this money from billionaires and corporations and whatnot. And 
That's what we have now, you know, as, as uh, Labor Secretary Robert Reich tweeted, a corporate lawyer runs DOL, a pharmacy exec runs HHS, a coal lobbyist runs EPA, an oil lobbyist runs the Department of Interior, a Raytheon lobbyist runs the Department of Defense, a steel lobbyist is the U.S. trade rep, a banking executive runs the USDT, I would add former Verizon lawyer now runs the FCC. So where have we come from? Why have we gotten here? Well, one of the things that we've been talking about this for years and years, you know, one of the things that was so well documented back in a couple of years ago with a study out of Columbia University, Gillens and Page were the two researchers, is that right now the desires of the bottom 90% of Americans, the odds of those desires being translated into legislation are equivalent to random noise, just total chance. Whereas the desires of the top 5% of Americans, more than 65% of the time, get turned into legislation. The top one-tenth of 1% 1 of Americans, well over 70% of the time, get translated into legislation. Americans know this. I mean, look at what Democrats brought us before the age of neoliberalism, before 1992. You had LBJ's Great Society program. It brought us Medicare. These were, these were things that were created out of nothing. Medicare, Medicaid, the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, cutting poverty in half, Head Start, the National Teacher Corps, hundreds of billions of dollars in student college aid so you could go to college debt-free, PBS, NPR, the Air Quality Act, the Water Quality Act, the Wilderness Act, the National Trail Systems Act, creating a cabinet-level Department of Housing and Urban Development, Community Action Agencies, Consumer Product Safety Commission, the Child Safety Act, mandating warning labels on cigarettes, the Immigration Act that ended race-based immigration quotas, food stamps, massive investments in our public schools and hospitals. That was Lyndon Johnson in the 60s. Then in the 70s, Jimmy Carter comes along and he creates the Department of Energy and passed energy programs that would have moved 20% of America's electricity generation to solar by the year 2000. Of course, Reagan blew that up. He created the Department of Education, funding our schools, massively expanding Head Start, passing major laws to regulate coal mining to make it safer, forcing polluters to clean up Superfund sites, doubling our public lands in Alaska, not to mention winning the Nobel Prize for bringing Egypt and Israel together and creating a peace that holds to this day. And then we got neoliberalism. And Reagan came in and just started taking this stuff apart. And every Republican, I mean, literally every Republican administration since Reagan, and at least one Democratic administration, has been aggressively working to dismantle the New Deal of Franklin Roosevelt and the Great Society of uh, Lyndon Johnson. I haven't even gotten to the New Deal. And now we've got this extraordinary legislation laid out before Congress. I asked Congressman Pocan when he was on our program last Wednesday if, if his uh, staff would get to me some of the really cool stuff that has passed out of the House so I can share you know, a reasonably cogent list with you. There's over 200 pieces of legislation dying at the feet of Mitch McConnell right now, all passed out of the House of Representatives while Trump is calling it the do-nothing Congress, right? I want to take this even a step farther, how the rise of neoliberalism and, frankly, the collapse starting in the late 80s and the early 90s, really starting with the Reagan administration, but even the collapse within the Democratic Party, which started arguably around 89, 90, of genuine progressive values has brought us to this point. You know, I really believe that to be the case. What we're seeing, in addition to the neoliberal destruction of functioning democratic republics around the world, 
is we're also seeing the parallel rise, and these two things are, you know, two sides of the teeter-totter, they're connected. We're seeing the parallel rise of autocrats, oligarchs, billionaires, and right-wing paramilitaries all over the country. And we're seeing the, the hardening of the right-wing perspective of police agencies, not just around the world. You know, we're see, you're seeing this in Hong Kong right now. You saw it in Turkey. We saw it in the Philippines where Duterte has murdered over 10,000 drug users, extrajudicial killings, and, and Donald Trump congratulated him on it, by the way, said, you're doing a great job with your drug war. Those were Trump's words. We're very, very close to that. We're seeing this now with Jair Bolsonaro in, in Brazil, another right-wing Trumpist elected with the help of right-wing media. You know, all around the world, what we're seeing is these turns to the hard right. And now in China, China had their 70th anniversary last week. This Business Insider article from last week, the headline, Trump congratulated China's dictators while police brutally cracked down on pro-democracy activists in Hong Kong. And it looks like the deal that Trump is trying to offer China is, I won't say a word about democracy in Hong Kong. I'll be silent. The first president in American history, basically, to be silent about a democratic movement here. I won't say a word if you'll give me a trade deal so that I can keep the American economy going and maybe if you'll buy some stuff from American farmers because they're starting to desert me in troves and I need the Midwest in order to win re-election in 2020 so I can stay out of jail. That seems to me like the bottom line. Trump tweeted, congratulations to President Xi and the Chinese people on the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China. Not a word about the protesters, not a word about a million Uyghurs. Their entire homeland, their entire territories have been turned into concentration camps. This a tweet from Ian Bremmer. As Xi, President Xi of China, reviewed China's troops in the capital, a teenage demonstrator was shot in the chest by a police officer on Tuesday, marking the first time law enforcement in Hong Kong used live rounds since protests began in June. Meanwhile, Senate Majority Leader Moscow Mitch said, quote, on the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China, we should pause to recognize that many millions of lives lost under Chinese communist rule. It is darkly fitting that the 70th anniversary of the PRC, its agents would be reduced to using force against protesters in Hong Kong who seek to preserve basic personal freedoms. Ted Cruz issued a statement about the protester who was shot. He said, today's shooting in Hong Kong marks an unacceptable escalation. This is Ted Cruz. You've got Moscow, Mitch, and you got Ted Cruz, of all people, calling out China as Donald Trump is just kissing their butt. You know, what can I do for you guys? Oh, democracy movements? We don't care about democracy movements. Uh, you know, to say it's mind-boggling is almost, it, it, it's almost over the top. And now it looks like the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine that Trump fired, Marie Yovanovitch is her name, he fired her apparently because he wanted somebody in there who would, who would help one of the gas companies there get some American oligarchs in on the deal. This is truly mind-boggling. Laura Claussen writing about it over at the Daily Coast today. Three big Republican donors with ties to Trump and Rudy Giuliani, Lev Parnas, Igor Fruman, and Harry Sargent III, were working to replace the CEO of Naftogaz, the Ukrainian state gas company, with another executive, a guy by the name of Andrew Favorov, who they thought would be more friendly to their profit motives. These guys met in Texas with this guy from Ukraine, Favorov, that they want to put in charge of the gas company. 
And then later, Dale Perry, a friend of former business partner Favarov's, told the Associated Press that, quote, Favarov perceived it as a shakedown. Dale Perry says Favarov said Parnas told him Trump planned to remove U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch and replace her with someone more open to aiding their business interests. And then last Friday, Rudy Giuliani says, yeah, I, I had a role in getting her fired. And it turns out Energy Secretary Rick Perry is in the middle of this thing, too. I mean, it's, it is so corrupt. John Brennan, the director of the CIA, says that we would call, if the CIA was looking at the current way the United States is run, anywhere else in the world, we would call it a banana republic. We would say it was very corrupt. This is exactly what he said this weekend on NBC News on Meet the Press. He said, we would look at it, that would be us, as a very corrupt government, that, the Trump administration anyway, we would look at it as a very corrupt government that is under the sway right now of this powerful individual who has been able to just corrupt the institutions and the laws of the country. And then Todd gets Ron Johnson on and he starts blithering about Fox News conspiracy theories. And Todd says, no, I'm not going to take that. And then, again, John Brennan, the former head of the CIA, says it's no longer a democracy if an autocrat has it in his hands. And people like Johnson and others are putty in his hands, which means that the democratic principles on which this country was founded are eroding right now. Yes, I would say so, right in front of our eyes. Associated Press News, AP News, the headline, this is, you know, Dateline Kiev, Ukraine. Profit, not politics. Trump allies sought Ukrainian gas deal. Their plan was to steer lucrative contracts to companies controlled by Trump allies. And this was when Poroshenko was the president. He was pro-Western, but he was also, you know, corrupted by the oil oligarchs. And he lost the election to Zelensky, this comedian who ran on a let's clean up this place platform. And... But the effort to install a friendlier management team at the helm of the gas company, Naftogaz, would soon be taken up with Ukraine's new president by U.S. Energy Secretary Rick Perry. So Rick Perry's trying to get American oil oligarchs in on the oil business in Ukraine. As the Associated Press writes, this is, this is, there's not a, a name associated with this. So just attribute this to the AP. Those with ties to Trump and his administration were pursuing business deals in Ukraine that went far beyond advancing the president's personal political interests. It also raises questions about whether Trump's allies were mixing business and politics. At the same time, Republicans were calling for a probe of Biden and his son Hunter. On Friday, according to the news site Axios, Trump told a group of Republican lawmakers that it had been Rick Perry who had prompted the phone call in which Trump asked Zelensky for a favor regarding Biden. And Perry is our energy secretary, and so it's all about oil. It's mind-boggling. I mean, I don't know how to say it other than mind-boggling. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Yeah, I just wanted to say, yes, we definitely have been sliding into fascism for quite a while. And I think it's because, you know, all of those grand ideas that happened at the end of World War II, you mentioned the Marshall Plan, none of those people are alive anymore. And we have created through neoliberalism a culture that has absolutely no ideals, that really only cares about money, greed, avarice. And I know that sounds really moralistic, that's where I stand. I think, you know, we need to work on changing this government from the, you know, get-go, and we need to get rid of these people because they are not only destroying us, they're destroying the whole world. 
And if we care about our children, we need to grow a moral back fiber. We need to do something about it. It's a very complex issue as far as what is going on in Syria, a tinderbox. I don't think that we should help the Kurds, but I don't think that we should get involved in a war because there's so much going on there. Uh, Turkey has descended into, you know, a fascist state already yep. and has for many years. And, you, and where's the EU? I mean, Europe needs to be doing something about the situation with Turkey. You know, the EU is in the same position that we are. They care about one thing and one thing only, and that is their money and resources. Right. They've been captured by the neoliberals. I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't have the moral authority to create, you know, I mean, I think back when Jimmy Carter was president, we still had some. Yes. But, you know, we've just generated. Yeah, we've, we've, absolutely, we've absolutely squandered it. And, and it really started, I think, in a big way. I mean, obviously, Vietnam damaged our moral authority. But then, you know, Reagan, with what he was doing in, in Central America, which is to, haunting us to this day, really was the beginning of the destruction of, of America as a moral force in the world. John, thank you. listening to the Tom Hartman Program. People are always asking me, Tom, is the X chair really as comfortable as you say it is? And my answer is always, you betcha. In fact, I probably don't do a good enough job describing just how great this chair feels. So take my advice, get one to feel it for yourself. Thanks to X chair's 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. You have no risk. So if you're wondering if what I say is true, try it for yourself. Once you feel the X chair's patented DVL, their dynamic variable lumbar support, you'll understand exactly why I love my X chair so much. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and increase your productivity with the right model for you, the X-Basic, or the X-1 through X-4. X-Chair can fit your body and your budget. The X-Chair is on sale now for 100 bucks off. Just go to xchairtom.com right now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. We're talking about Syria. We're talking about the radicalization of our police forces and our border forces. Is this how a country slides into tyranny? I think it is. And I'm very concerned about this. And, and tyrants have a long history of using foreign wars not to violate Godwin's law, except Godwin himself has come out and said, you know, no problem making parallels to Hitler's Germany now <laughs> because, because we're past the Rubicon. We have, we have crossed the river Styx here. We're, you know, this is what Hitler did. You know, he was having internal troubles in 1937. The economy was softening. So what did he do? He invaded Poland, which arguably kicked off World War II. And this concerns me tremendously. I mean, Trump nakedly reaching out to police saying, hey, you know, just instead of putting your hand on that guy's head when you're putting him in the police car, rough him up a little. Remember that? And the police forces are like embarrassed and we've got, you know, he goes to see the troops and they put Trump badges on. Uh, you've got a police department in, in uh, Minnesota now that is selling cops for Trump T-shirts. Here's where it gets really bizarre. You know, Customs and Border Protection 
I'm not sure if ICE is a subset of CPB or if they are parallel to them. They both exist under the aegis of the uh, under the umbrella of the Department of Homeland Security. Um, but but you know when you come into this country from a foreign country, the the guys that you see you know who stamp your passport and stuff that's Customs and Border Protection. They're the guys who protect our borders and and. Uh, uh, you know, which is like separate from ICE. ICE is the ICE is the guy. You know, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. ICE is the guys who are traveling around inside America, looking for people who shouldn't be here and getting them and deporting them and caging them and all that kind of stuff. But this guy Ben Watson, he's a reporter, right? And uh, he's flying into the United. He'd been outside the United States. He was in Denmark. And he's flying back into the U.S. He's an American citizen, and he stopped at Dulles Airport by the customs guy, you know, like stamping his passport. And the guy says, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a reporter. He's the news editor at this national security website, Defense One, which is not political. It's not partisan. It's, it's you know, it's, it's about, you know, military issues. And so the the... The reporter, and this is from the Washington Post, the headline, journalist says a CPB author, officer withheld his passport until he write, agree, agreed he writes propaganda. So, the, so the, here's, here's this, you know, basically a police officer. You know, the, all of the police functions in the U.S. government, all of them, um, you know, whether it's the border, whether it's internal to the FBI, whether it's external to the CIA, all of the essentially police forces, all of the agencies that can carry a gun, all fall under the executive branch, under the Constitution. So they all basically work ultimately for the president. So this guy says to this reporter, he says to, you know, this, this, this uh, border patrol guy at Dulles Airport, says to Ben Watson, this reporter, he says, so you write propaganda, right? And Watson says, no, I'm a journalist. And then the, the officer said, but you write propaganda, right? And then Watson told the Washington Post, and I'm quoting here, with his tone, and he's looking me in the eye, I very much realized this is not a joke. And the guy's holding on to his passport. He said, I've never had a human attempt to provoke me like this before in my life. This behavior is totally normal now, I guess. That if a reporter, an American reporter, is flying back to the United States from Denmark, for God's sake? That the response of our border patrol is, oh, you're part of the fake news? I mean, Trump's got all these guys watching Fox News. Fox News, you know, with, with uh, affiliates all over the world, <laughs> it's like, is, has, is Rupert Murdoch, like, creating all these autocracies? Or is that just too much of a giant conspiracy theory to even consider? What, what is actually going on here? Watson, Ben Watson, this, re, this reporter, told the Washington Post, he said, I, I, I've heard, a, well, this is in the third person. Watson said he heard a couple of stories. This is from the Washington Post piece by Hannah Knowles. Um, well, yeah, by Hannah Knowles, WashingtonPost.com. Watson said he heard a couple stories of similar encounters in the past, but said he did not realize until sharing his experience at Dulles on social media just how many people in the field, in other words, his colleagues, other reporters, are reporting the same brand of harassment. U.S. airport border agents were at the center of several incidents that have raised reporters' concerns this year. 
and how the Department of Homeland Security says, oh yeah, we're going to look into this. But the, uh, the, the guy who's the head editor at, at the, this website, Defense One, where, where, he, where, where this uh, reporter, Ben Watson, writes, he says, we're disappointed and concerned that any U.S. official would question a journalist or any citizen in this way. And, uh, and in fact, another person, another reporter who's a green card, you know, a permanent resident, um, uh, Vera Bergengrun, um, says, this, happen this has happened to me coming back into this country, too. Last year, pretty aggressive question about who I worked for and whether it was, quote, fake news, end quote. Also, when you're not a U.S. citizen, I'm a permanent resident, this takes on a much more threatening tone because they could deny you entry. The Washington Post reports a growing list of journalists have been started, startled by government officials' harassment in a country that is supposed to prize freedom of the press. The encounters are raising fears that hostile rhetoric by President Trump and his allies are damaging reporters' ability to do their job unhindered. This is how you turn a democracy into an, auto, into an autocracy. And then, and, and then, you know, I mean, it's a war crime for troops to shoot at civilians unless we're in war, and even, even then it's a, a war crime to shoot at civilians, unless those civilians are specifically endangering the troops. You know, if they're, if they're shooting at you, then you can shoot back, but that's it. And here's Trump saying that soldiers should shoot c civilians in the legs at our southern border. Now keep in mind, this is Customs and Border Protection, who is interrogating journalists about whether they're writing fa fake news. The Minneapolis Police Union denied, uh, you know, announced it's gonna be selling cops for Trump t-shirts. Stars and stripes and the and the statue and the state of Minnesota on it, three and with the badges of the three different law enforcement agencies. The Fraternal Order of Police, a police group in uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, they 11,000 police officers. They reserved Trump International for a night in early December for their Christmas party. They say tickets cost 175 bucks a couple plus 200 dollars if you want a room in the in the Trump Hotel. Join us for a night of celebration surrounded by elegance. There's a couple of uh, the police, uh, you know, kind of sub-departments who are pushing back, but man, is Trump building his Gestapo? This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're seeing the brown shirts, right? The Volunteer Civilian Corps, the Proud Boys out there. Now are we seeing the black shirts, the elite corps? Lisa in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Lisa, we just have a minute to the break. I just wanted to tell you that I'm a 25-year retired police sergeant, and you are not wrong about the radicalization. Oh, my. I've been talking about this. I've been trying to talk to my friends. There is a small minority of us that, you know, try to say the right thing. Now that I'm retired, I have a little bit more freedom, but people are afraid, and I put things up on my social media since day one of this administration saying, what will you do when the unlawful order comes? Right. And they just, you know, put up radical, everything's more radicalized every single day that I see. It's, um, it's frightening. My goodness. Lisa, thank you. Thank you for sharing your personal story with us. I, I, I honor and appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being one of the good, good guys, good women, good people who have served in, you know, in our police departments in the United States. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, my. Dion in Carl Junction, Missouri. Hey, Dion, what's up? 
It's very frustrating to me to listen to people talk about Donald Trump as if he is the problem. He didn't radicalize the police. The police were already radicalized. Mm -hmm. They've been a military force for years. It wasn't Donald Trump that made Bull Connor beat and drag black people through the streets in the 60s. That's who the police were. It wasn't Donald Trump that corrupted the system. He's just a symptom of it. I, I would say he is pneumonia, and America has an autoimmune disease. Yes, we have to get rid of the pneumonia, but if we don't treat the autoimmune disease, it's going to kill us anyway, whether we yeah. get rid of the pneumonia. Yeah, we'll but it's getting, it's getting so much worse. I mean, when you've got the guys who stamp your passports when you return to the country saying to a reporter, oh, you do fake news, and this guy literally would not give the passport back to the reporter until the reporter said, yes, I do fake news. He made him say that in order to let him into his own country. Tom, all those things are true. It is getting worse. But if we don't have a real, open, honest assessment of what America is, oh, yeah. America is a corrupt global empire funded by greed and murder around the world for since we've been America. Right, that's, and based on racism new. and slavery and genocide, that's the first five chapters in my first book in this Hidden History series, Guns in the Second Amendment, is the largest genocide in history against Native Americans, 50 to 100 million people slaughtered over 400 years, kidnapping people in a, on a foreign continent, bringing them here and, and enslaving them for centuries, essentially writing it into our Constitution. I mean, all those things, yes, I acknowledge all of that. And, and in fact, policing in the South came out of the slave patrols, which is why if you get shot by a stranger in a southern state, the odds are one in three you were shot by a police officer, regardless of your race. I mean, it's just that violent culture is very much there. And TV doesn't help much, you know, with, with a lot of the cop shows that we've been seeing since the Reagan era. But what's your proposed solution, Dion? My proposed solution is that we get behind a candidate who understands that this isn't going to be a one-person solution. Right. This has to be a movement. And the only person I see doing that is Bernie Sanders. I think Elizabeth Warren has kind of recognized that she does need a movement. But mm. right now, what I see is that people think that impeachment's going to happen, and, okay, we'll get rid of Donald Trump and we'll just move on back to normal. Well, right. normal is what got us Donald Trump in the first place. Yeah. We need to activate our friends, our family, our neighbors, our community to realize that America isn't the great place that we've been told we could make it that way if we all got together and started doing something about it instead of acting like the people in Washington are the ones that do. And there have been a lot of times in our past, yeah, and there have been a lot of times in our past when we actually have moved in that direction fairly aggressively. And that would be Teddy Roosevelt's square deal, Franklin Roosevelt's new deal, Harry Truman's better deal or whatever he called it, great society of Lyndon Johnson, attempts to, to move forward in a positive way, the anti-war movement during the Vietnam era. But as you point out, these deep roots with these multinational corporations and these, these billionaire oligarchs, we call foreign billionaires oligarchs. We don't call American billionaires oligarchs, but they are. Louise and I have discovered recently the powerful health benefits of CBD oil. We've been using New Leaf Natural CBD oil for a few months and love it. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it great for people who want the health benefits of cannabinoids without the 
without getting high, frankly. Uh, CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand we trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, is grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. It's N-U-LeafNaturals.com and get 30% off and free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to nuleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, nuleafnaturals.com. Go to nuleafnaturals.com. That's nuleafnaturals.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Cult of Trump. A leading cult expert explains how the president uses mind control by Stephen Hassan. This is from the introduction. Just beneath the surface of Trump's woe is me facade is a messianic streak. He may not come, may not come out and say he believes he is a messiah, but he has done nothing to dispel the notion, popular among some Christian followers, that God has chosen him to be their leader. Certainly, he makes no bones about the fact that he is the only one who can restore America to an imagined past glory and save us from a terrible future. One of Trump's earliest campaign moves was to establish the image of a great shining wall in the minds of his followers. The wall was a key piece of Trump propaganda to insulate, isolate, and elevate America from the rest of the dangerous world. The idea was actually suggested by political consultants Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg, who were looking for a mnemonic device that would keep Trump on message. Trump didn't love the idea at first, but he tried it out at a rally and the crowds went crazy. It turned out to be a stroke of marketing genius. Not only did it play on the us versus them trope, but it also allowed Trump to conjure images of murderers and rapists amassing at the southern border. It allowed him to instill fear in the hearts and minds of his followers, far beyond what is the norm at campaign rallies, and yet straight out of the cult leader playbook. The Muslim ban, which Trump tried to implement early in his presidency, was a variation on this theme, as many of the Christian right fear that Islam wants to rule the world and impose Sharia law on Americans. Trump uses all kinds of cult tactics, lying, insulating opponents, projecting his weaknesses onto others, deflecting, distracting, presenting alternative facts and competing versions of reality to confuse, disorient, and ultimately coerce his followers. Repetition programs the belief into the unconscious, but fear-mongering tops the list. In my experience, phobia indoctrination, the creation of fearful thoughts to promote and reinforce a desired set of beliefs or behaviors in followers, is one of the most powerful and universal techniques in the cult leader's arsenal. This is why Trump spends so much air and Twitter time painting a frightening picture of the danger posed by immigrants, Mexicans, Muslims, the migrant caravan, the more vivid the thought or image installed in people's minds, the greater a hold it has on us, and the less susceptible we are to rational or critical thought. There are other enemies in Trump's world, globalists, radical left-wing Democrats, socialists, Hollywood actors, the liberal media. Inspiring fear of real or imagined threats overrides people's sense of urgency. It makes them susceptible to a confident authority figure who promises to keep them safe and can make them more compliant and obedient. Fear defines Trump's philosophy, his personality, and his presidency. It is also his definition of power. Trump, like cult leaders and dictators throughout history, seizes upon people's needs and fears and amplifies them. Like these authoritarian leaders, he may manufacture problems that do not exist and then say, trust me or believe me, and promise that only he can fix it. Given the right circumstances, sane, rational, well-adjusted people 
and be made to consider and ultimately believe the most outrageous leaders and propositions. There is a method to their madness. Cult leaders may look and behave differently, but even the craziest, most chaotic ones follow a similar pattern. While they usually have no academic training, they are masters of human psychology, especially social psychology. They understand that human beings are social creatures who, at some level, are wired to follow leaders and powerful members of their group. They know that they can confuse people with false information and lies, and then sow doubt by claiming that they never said what they said in the first place. People like to think they're rational and in control, but the lessons of history and social psychology demonstrate time and again that simply ain't so. We go about our ways and our lives using unconscious mental models. When cult leaders manipulate these models in subtle and overt ways, we can be persuaded to believe and do things we might never have considered without such systemic psychological influence. Ultimately, their goal is to make people dependent and obedient. Before the 24-7 world of smartphones and the internet, cult leaders would physically isolate members in order to control all aspects of their lives, their behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, or what we call the BITE model of indoctrination, B-I-T-E. But physical isolation is not always necessary for indoctrination to occur. Through the media and the internet, people can be indoctrinated and even recruited on their smartphones or in their own homes. Some cult leaders, including pimps and human traffickers, use smartphones and digital technology to monitor and control their followers. Taken to an extreme, the indoctrination process can break down a person's fundamental identity to such an extent that they can be said to have a new pseudo-identity cast in the image of the group's leader or ideology. In her documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad, Jan Senko shows how her once loving and liberal father, Frank, came to espouse hate-filled racist views after listening to Rush Limbaugh and other right-wing talk radio hosts for many hours a day while commuting to work. He was essentially radicalized by these shows and also by Fox News television. I have met and heard about followers of Trump who have undergone radical personality changes, adopting viewpoints that would have been abhorrent to their former selves. Perhaps most confounding is how so many devout Christians have come to believe that a man who cheated on his pregnant wife was handpicked by God. Of course, Trump is not carrying out this indoctrination single-handedly through his Twitter account. The book, The Cult of Trump. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave. Hey, Tom. I, I generally agree with you and all the callers today. Just a couple things I wanted to highlight. This, um, you know, the, the one retired police officer, she said that um, what, what would her colleagues do when this uh, illegal order comes down? Well, the only issue I have with that is Trump's administration, in my mind, shows no pattern of, of ham-handedness like that. When the order comes down, it will appear legal. Very few people will see it as an illegal order. And the other thing about the guy saying that Trump is a symptom, uh, not the problem, I couldn't agree more, but that's kind of like the Susan Sarandon a mentality of let's get Trump in there to show how bad everything could be. Because really what will solve this problem is if we adhere to the rule of law and not the law of rulers. Yeah. And frankly, there are three, uh, uh, there are a couple of stories that, have, that are not getting much attention, but that concern me. Number one is the White House inviting Fox News over to talk about this crowd strike thing. Fox News, love it or hate it, it is still a very powerful media organization. Oh, yeah. If they get totally on board Team Trump, I think it's over. The other thing is, is um, uh, the National Security Council layoffs. Not too much. Uh, yeah, he's gutting the National Security Council because they're they're trying to restrain him. I think. I think some of the you know the career people there are going, whoa, wait a minute, you can't do that, and so he's saying, okay, you're out of a job. 
Yeah. I, I mean, you're a retired, so, as I recall, you're, you're a retired national security analyst or officer. So I was a mid-grade intel uh, analyst at the Pentagon when I retired. Yeah. But the thing is, is um, you got to stop feeling sorry, Comrade Trump, okay? Trump is already talking about the upside. His White House is already talking about the upside of impeachment, all right? This is about rule of law. And as far as Erdogan goes, in Turkey, now I know this personally, Turkey always does this. They always go in and they, they do a show of force against the Kurds. Right. All right. There's going to be, they've been doing this ever since George, before George Bush invaded Iraq. Okay. What they're going to do is they're going to, ha- we're going to start complaining about uh, non-judicial killings. All right. Or extrajudicial killings. Extrajudicial killings. In other words, summary executions. Right. The problem is even Trump's ally in Manila, in the Philippines, uh, has already said the United States has no room to talk on extrajudicial killings. Trump is every bit the warmonger of Lindsey Graham, or or he's just selling it differently, or George Bush, he's right. just selling it differently. Yeah. And the reason why he needs to sell this is so he can clamp down on the Constitution, he can clamp down on the rights of everyday Americans. Yeah. That's what he wants to really do. Yeah, I'm, I'm abs- absolutely with you, Dave. And, and what we are seeing here is not just the rise of autocracy and fascism in the United States. We're seeing basically the screen that has been covering it, the patina of politics, the Republican Party by and large, that has been, you know, uh, oh, no, we're the face of, you know, uh, just the corporations and the region. We're seeing that just kind of part and it's and the real face is coming out hartman visit tomhartman.com for audio and video archives and if we don't go back to a government that actually works for the people which in almost all cases in the last 40 years means the democratic party we're in trouble slash time Boy, there's so much to talk about here. James in Salida, Colorado. Hey, James, what's up? Yeah, I think we all need to remember that the Republicans hate the United States of America government itself. They've been saying it for decades now. Yeah. No, absolutely. This is a debate that goes back to Locke and Hobbes. And, you know, we ranted about this in the first hour. But this is an old, old debate is is can you trust the people to govern themselves or do you have to have a governing elite? And the Democrats have been, by and large, have been on the side of trust the people. And the Republicans have been, by and large, on the side of a governing elite. And who should that governing elite be? Well, you know, John Calvin, you know, back 400 years ago, 300 years ago, looked at the same question and came to the conclusion that you've got to have a governing elite. Who does God want it to be? Well, the people that God has blessed, the rich people. And so Calvinism is like, you know, the rich should rule. And the Republicans are simply, you know, a secular version of Calvinism. I absolutely agree with you. Thank you, James. Well said. Brent in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Brent. Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Thanks, Tom. So I tend to agree with the assessment that you gave, as well as your previous two callers, that there is there does seem to be some militarization and and some radicalization of the institutions that are supposed to keep us safe, i.e., the the police. Right. Um, well, we saw here in Portland, you know, the police working with with some of the local right wing groups. Yeah, uh, but. I think it's important to understand that it's a very natural process. Like society, as we have established, or that we at least 
dreamed or aspired to establish here uh, in the United States, as well as in, say, ancient Rome or the Greek philosophers, is a society that always combats nature. And it's so easy to go back to that authoritarian tribalism, and we're always in that struggle. And I'm not sure how you ever get past that. I don't know how we ever move past that very well, Brent, drive this was, this was to the have debate a unitarian. The, yeah, this was the debate at the founding of the republic. This is this is the uh, essentially the essence of, of my new book on the Supreme Court. Not not wanting to sound like I'm shamelessly plugging the book, but but really it really is. I mean, you know, if you if you want to do a deep dive into this, and this has been the debate since arguably the Enlightenment, since since Thomas Hobbes in the 1630s with Leviathan, and then Jean Jacques Rousseau, you know, a generation later saying. You know, no, no. The 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 state of man is not brutal and you know nasty, short, brutish life. The noble savage, the 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 idea that tribal people actually live in a positive and egalitarian way. And then John Locke, you know, a generation after that in the 1770s and 1780s, with his two treatise on second treatise on government, and uh, you know, saying that. You know, we should all have the rights to life, liberty, and private property. And then, you know, Jefferson and the other Enlightenment thinkers, you know, trying to drag that into the United States. These were all radical ideas back then, but the, but the, con- the essential conflict was between the argument that Ham- Alexander Hamilton and John Adams and the conservatives of the day were making, which is that you can't trust the rabble, you can't trust the mob, you have to have an elite that govern, and that's why they didn't ha- allow the Senate to be elected, it was appointed by the states, and why the president was not to be elected, he was p- to be put into office by the Electoral College, so there was a buffer there. And then on the other hand, you had the people who actually believed in democracy, small-d democracy, who fought really, really hard to have the most powerful branch of government be the House of Representatives, because they're, you know, all spending must originate there, all war proclamations must originate there, all taxes must originate there, and literally every single law must originate in the House of Representatives, because they're elected every two years, 100% of them, they're the most answerable to the people. We've moved more and more in the direction of being a democratic republic, at the, but with this one single exception, which is our Supreme Court, where they have risen up since the 1870s, first being corrupted by the railroads in the in the in the 19th century, and then in the early 20th century being corrupted by other you know political forces and and, and uh, you know the other big corporations in the 1920s and 30s, and then in the 1980s again you know by the by the right wing oligarchs in the United States to where they've taken the role of monarchs you know of of the people who have the final say. I mean we're no longer a democratic republic. We're a constitutional monarchy where we've got nine guys who decide on everything. We pass we pass uh, Obamacare and then it's like, oh, well, what's the Supreme Court going to say? We all hold our breath. Like, it's a normal thing that there should be an unelected body. You know, they just don't happen to be hereditary like in the United Kingdom. But even the Queen doesn't strike down laws anymore. Now, you know, you've got countries in, in Europe that have no judicial review. And, and I'm going off on a rant here, Brent, but, but my point is that this, this dynamic tension between do we believe in democracy? I mean, this is, this is the argument when George Mason wrote to Jefferson and said, if you don't think that the Supreme Court should be able to strike down laws because they're undemocratic, who should? Who's the final arbiter of what's constitutional? And Jefferson said, the people themselves. You know, they'll throw the bums out. And, and you know, obviously we've turned back into this monarchy. But am I talking about the same thing you're talking about, Brent? 
Yeah, very much, and I enjoyed the reference to Hobbes and Locke. You don't, you don't just, you, you're obviously well studied in that uh, era. Well, of, that's where uh, it started. Philosophy. That's where it started. I mean, <laughs> yes, you know, in a way. Much. I mean, you could go back to Plato in his cave, and you know, in his arguments with Socrates, sure. and all this kind of stuff. But you know, in the modern era, that's where it started. The Enlightenment. I mean, the United States is the first major project product of the Enlightenment. Absolutely. And I think that we're having that struggle again, and we're just going to continue to repeat that struggle. Uh, but we've won before and we will again. Well, that's my hope. I mean, you know, we've been through a civil war. We've been through world wars. We've been through the Vietnam War. We've been through the corruption of our government by Richard Nixon. We've been through, you know, we've been to hell and back. And, uh, you know, hopefully one of these days we will start learning a lesson from all that and say enough already enough corruption and you know kick out donald trump and mike pence who you know mike pence goes over to poland and meets with Zelensky and says hey you know you better get this dirt on biden for you know corruption uh you know pence is up to his eyeballs in this we need to be impeaching both of them and bring in president pelosi we'll be back Until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates appetite. My wife convinced me there was one that was worth sharing, and well, after a year, I have to say she was right. Louise said once her appetite and cravings were under control, losing weight was easy and she's kept it off. My producer, Sean, was so impressed with Louise's results that she's trying Ridgizone too. Sean wants to lose a little weight before the holidays and she says Ridgizone is the easiest diet supplement she's ever tried. One capsule with breakfast and that's it. No jitters, no hunger, no wild food cravings. Sean says meals are no longer a battle not to overeat. She feels full faster and has reduced portion sizes accordingly. She also says she, no longer, she, she feels full longer so no more grazing between meals either. The only ingredient in Ridgizone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant. And that appealed to both Louise and Sean. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Ridgizone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Ridgizone.com. It's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Zone.com, Ridgizone.com. Promo code TOM at Ridgizone.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. For the Tom Hartman Book Club, our book today is How Wealth Rules the World, Saving Our Communities and Freedoms from the Dictatorship of Property by Ben G. Price, uh, with a blurb on the back from some guy named Tom Hartman. This is from the introduction, One Right to Rule Them All, The Dark Side of Property. Let's get it out in the open. The United States of America, nations that emulate its governing principles, are governed by a dictatorship of property. Is that plutocracy? Sure. But it goes deeper than that. The U.S. Constitution, as it was written and later interpreted by the Supreme Court, hijacked democratic rights that American revolutionaries thought they had won. The Federalists developed a whole system of law that serves the interests of wealth. Elements of that system include the following. State constitutions untethered from their revolutionary moorings. International trade agreements that supersede local, state, and federal laws. Regulations administered by an unrepresentative bureaucracy political parties that gerrymander legislative districts so that they can choose their voters rather than allowing voters to choose their representatives, corporate property that the Supreme Court has declared to be persons with Bill of Rights protections, federal and state statutes that privatize public governance and prohibit democratic limits on the uses of private fortunes, and local governments declared to be property of the state and made unavailable to communities for municipal lawmaking. 
We live deep within an undemocratic matrix of law that masquerades as a democratic republic while it legalizes an aristocracy of wealth. The U.S. Constitution was written by men who came from a uniformly privileged class. Charles Beard argued this point in his book, An Economic Interpretation of the Constitution of the United States. Beard analyzed the economic interests of those who met in secret to overturn the Articles of Confederation and concluded that the Federalists were motivated by economic self-interest to establish a form of government that would protect their wealth against an excess of democracy, as Alexander Hamilton put it. The Federalists who replaced the Articles with the U.S. Constitution were not fully aligned with the liberating agenda of commoners who risked their lives to throw off the hierarchical chains of Great Britain. They were wealthy men educated in British law with opinions that harmonized with aristocratic sentiments. The authors of the U.S. Constitution are often called the Founding Fathers. Popular history lumps the Federalist counter-revolutionaries in with the likes of Thomas Paine, who with this firebrand writings against monarchy, nobility, and special privilege for the few, inspired the people to demand independence. Popular culture counts the Federalists as American revolutionaries no less fervent for liberty than the men whose ideas of leveling the social class system inspired American farmers and day laborers to pick up their muskets and take on the redcoats. This conflation of the Federalist counter-revolutionaries with those whose spirit of 76 is reflected in the Declaration of Independence and absent from the U.S. Constitution is a troubling reminder that popular history too often preserves false memories. What's the evidence that the Federalists intended a Constitution that weaponizes law to protect the accumulation of property and raise wealth and out of reach of public governance? Well, to begin with, their own words were recorded in Philadelphia in 1787 by James Madison and Robert Yates. Damningly, that record had, was held secret until every delegate to the clandestine conclave had died and the Constitution they wrote had been the law of the land for two generations. We have that evidence and it tells the tale I'll share in Chapter 2. We also have the product of their cleverness to consider. The Federalists established a quasi-monarchical judiciary. Politically appointed judges wielded the power to veto any legislation that departs from the Federalists' original intent to protect wealthy accumulation from democratic oversight. We have the arguments of the anti-federalists who called out the would-be American aristocrats for betraying the revolution. If not for them, we would not have the first 10 amendments to the federalist document, the Bill of Rights, which many identify as the soul of the U.S. Constitution. More immediate evidence that the original intent of the U.S. Constitution was to immunize possession of unearned property from public regulation can be found in the antisocial way the document is interpreted by the courts and how it operates on society today. Here's my argument in a nutshell. We are faced with social, political, and environmental problems that resist resolution because law empowers a wealthy minority to govern based on priorities often at odds with the general welfare. The Constitution and its interpretation by the courts amounts to an arsenal of weaponized law able to deliver special privileges to a propertied class. Certain legal mechanisms let those seeking to profit at the public expense block policies they compete with their interests. These legal doctrines operate by a two-step process. First, they remove democratic rights from the public sphere and deposit them in concentrated accumulations of property. The oddity of attaching legal rights to property itself rather than to people roared into public consciousness with the Supreme Court's 2010 Citizens United ruling that affirmed corporate property's personhood and free speech rights. Although the ruling shocked the conscience of average Americans, it was not the first time the court had vested civil rights within inert property. Nor were corporations the first type of property to be given legal rights. 
The second step is for property imbued with rights to deliver those rights as an extra layer of legal privilege to the property owner. When civil and human rights are deposited in property, that property is placed beyond the authority of the people to govern how it is used by its owner. This nullifies the majority's ability to decide directly or through elected representatives what public policy will be. As a result, we aren't allowed to resolve issues of immediate concern to every community. Even when we understand what needs to be done, we're often blocked. And then he goes through the whole list. Benji Price writes, How Wealth Rules the World. So I went through this list of all these things that Democrats brought us. I mean, we, you know, we can go back to the New Deal if you want, you know, the right to unionize, child labor laws, minimum wage laws, unemployment insurance, the New Deal, and then you've got what LBJ did with Medicare and Medicaid and the Civil Rights Act. And, and every single one of these things, the Republicans tried to stop. Literally every single one. And not just stop, they tried to destroy and they're still trying to destroy. I mean, they've got this new campaign now to destroy Medicare by these phony baloney policies, Medicare Advantage, where if you actually get sick, they can dump you or you, you know, you'll, you'll end up with these really, really high deductibles for retired people. And they're, and they're doing that because they're trying to destroy Medicare before a Democrat can get in office and say, oh, we're going to have Medicare for all. And then they're going to say, yeah, good luck with that. It doesn't work anymore because we've already privatized a third of it. So you've got that. I mean, and you know, Jimmy Carter following up and creating the Department of Energy and all these other things. What have Republicans done? Nothing. They've just fought all this forward motion literally since 1932. And I asked uh, last Wednesday, Congressman Pocan was with us, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and represents Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives of the 2nd District of Wisconsin. He was on for the hour and I was like, what are the bills that the House has passed that they have sent to the Senate because Trump is running around calling it the do-nothing Congress and he's really talking about the do-nothing Senate under Mitch McConnell. But the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, you know, is the leader of the Speaker of the House. The House of Representatives has passed over 200 pieces of legislation and a tip of the hat to Usama Andrabe, who is the communications director for Mark Pocan, who sent me a, um, a summary of these things. H.R. 1, the For the People Act, this secures our voting systems. House Resolution 1, H.R. 986 and H.R. 987. These have all been passed and sent to the Senate. The Protecting Americans with Pre-Existing Conditions Act and the Strengthening Healthcare and Lowering Prescription Drug Costs Act. Trump can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower prescription drugs. That's what we should be doing. Yeah, they've already passed the law. It's in the, you know, in the House of Representatives. All you have to do is get Mitch McConnell to hold a vote in the Senate. He won't do it. It protects people with uh, pre-existing conditions, lowers drug prices, cracks down on junk health insurance plans. H.R. 8 and H.R. 1112, the Bipartisan Background Checks Act, Enhanced Background Checks Act. These are common sense, you know, gun prevention. Ninety percent of Americans, 97 percent of Americans agree with background checks. I mean, it's not even controversial. Mitch McConnell won't, you know, Moscow Mitch. No, we're not going to do that or massacre Mitch. H.R. 6, the American Dream and Prosperity Act, to provide a pathway to lawful permanent residence. Basically, it's the dreamers. H.R. 7, the Paycheck Fairness Act, that says women get equal pay for equal work. H.R. 1585, Violence Against Women Reauthorization Act. Bizarrely enough, the Republicans don't want to reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act. H.R. 1644, the Save the Internet Act, to restore net neutrality. Republicans won't take it up. 
H.R. 9, the Climate Action Now Act. Republicans, you know, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans won't take it up. H.R. 5, the Equality Act to finally and fully end discrimination against LGBTQ Americans. H.R. 1500, the Consumer First Act to reverse the administration's weakening of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. All of these things have been passed out of the House. Republicans are fighting every single one of them as they always have. And now we've got this insane tweet by Donald Trump just a you know, he's being criticized by his own party, people in his own party, Marco Rubio coming out and criticizing him, Meghan McCain on The View criticizing him, Lindsey Graham, for goodness sake, criticizing him. This is just so bizarre. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you expect from a tin pot dictator in a third world country. As I have stated strongly before, and just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey. I've done it before. They must, with Europe and the others, watch over the captured ISIS fighters and families. The U.S. has done far more than anyone could ever have expected, including the capture of 100% of the ISIS caliphate. USA is great. Now, actually, it was the Kurds who captured the ISIS caliphate and who are holding them prisoner. And uh, you, Trump, in your great and unmatched wisdom are sticking the shiv in their backs. It's amazing. So anyhow, my point of going through all these accomplishments of the Democratic Party, you know, with LBJ and whatnot, when LBJ was doing the Great Society, there were a lot of people who disagreed with him, the entire Republican Party. And they said it out loud. But people were engaged in politics because they believed that the system could work for them. All, every single one of those things I read was, were programs that would help average working people. Then George, you know, and, and when George W. Bush comes into office, what do we get? We get the Clean Skies Act, right, which allows more pollution. We get the Healthy Forests Initiative, which allows more clear-cutting. I mean, every major piece of legislation. In fact, I've had the contest on this program for, for what, 14, 15 years now where I'll give you an autographed copy of one of my books. If you can name one piece of legislation in the last 20 years that originated with a Republican sponsor in the House or Senate, that was passed with a majority of Republicans in the House and Senate and signed by a Republican president that benefits working or poor people, working class people or poor people, instead of principally benefiting wealthy people or corporations. And nobody has won that prize yet. And that should tell you everything you need to know about this. So, so the question why, you know, the original point that I made about why is it that so many Americans are willing to say, yeah, we should have the military take over. 49% of Americans now saying having a strongman president who isn't accountable to a legislature that is responsible to the people, probably a good idea. Why are people saying that? because they don't believe that the government works anymore. And why doesn't the government work anymore? Because the Supreme Court turned it over to the oligarchs. It's just that simple. The Supreme Court has betrayed America, which is why I wrote this book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court, The Betrayal of America. And I just lay it out step by step by step. And I think I just did in this rant. And if we don't do something about it, we are going to lose our democracy because people are losing faith in it. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag 
You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 